right, you guys, we're back with another episode of the Ohio High School Hoops Around the State podcast. Today, we are blessed and fortunate to be joined uh, by a, a legend here in the state of Ohio, uh, Mr. Jerry Lucas. Jerry, how are you doing today? I'm doing just fine, Kurt. Thank you very much. Well, Jerry, um, I want to get into your, your hoop accolades and, and more specifically your days at Middletown, but let me start with this. Um, I've listened to you before, and, and correct me if I'm way off here, but it appears to me that you are every bit as passionate about education as you were your, your playing days. Would that be correct? Uh, no, that would be incorrect. I'm oh. more passionate about oh. education than I am my basketball days. I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, you, you retired, uh, what, at the end of the 73-74 season? Correct. So, you know, kind of update us, like, you know, I, I know you've, you've been doing a lot of educational stuff. You've written a book, uh, like, you know, what's going on with you right now? What are you up to? Well, actually, uh, my educational life began when I was very young, uh, as far back as grade school, I began to, I had an incredibly active mind. I did all kinds of mental games. I counted everything I saw, every place I went, tried to remember it. I began to spell words alphabetically when I learned how to spell. By that, I mean, mentally, I rearranged the letters in a word and spelled them back to myself alphabetically. For instance, the word cat is spelled C-A-T, but alphabetically, it's A-C-T because A comes before C and C before T in the alphabet. Windows, D-N-I-S, D-I-N-O-S-W-W, ceiling, C-E-G-I-I-L-N, chandelier, E-C-D-E-E-H-I-L-N-R, uh, most people would think, well, why do you do that? That's nonsense, you know? <laughs> well, I did it just to keep my mind active and busy. And I discovered something way back in grade school. I, I began to analyze learning. I, I guess that's what God, you know, had for my life. But I began to analyze it and realize that all youngsters in any place in the world learn the same exact way. And what we learned initially is never forgotten. And our parents don't realize that they are our best teachers. They point out objects that we can see. That's a cat, a dog, a horse, a tree, etc. And when that happens, an image of that object is registered in our mind, never to be forgotten. Because every time we think of it, it is recreated in our mind. For instance, if I say to you and your listeners, please do not see a zebra in your mind, it's too late. You just saw a zebra. Or how about a giraffe? How about a, an alligator? Those, they appear in your mind automatically and cannot be forgotten. So as, as a young boy, I thought, what if I could change all the abstract and intangible information that has no identity into something that has an identity? Learning it would be fun, simple, easy, and I wouldn't forget it. So that's what I set out to do. And I retired from basketball early to devote my life to that process and have been working on it ever since. That's, that's uh, fascinating stuff. Um especially the, I love when you do the uh, rearranging of the words in alphabetical order. Um, and I think you kind of uh, alluded to it, but when, when did you start doing that? Like you, you just all of a sudden you, you well, just... I be, I began to count everything I saw, et cetera. When I was very young, probably, you know, first, second grader. And then as I learned, began to learn how to spell and probably the, you know, first and second grade, I began my alphabetical spelling just for something to do. And I, and I did 
many, many other mental games. I won't go into all of those, but suffice it to say, my mind was always very busy, always very active. I applied it to help me become a better basketball player. I applied my mental uh, uh, abilities to that, and it helped me become a much better basketball player in many, many ways. And so it's always been a part of my life and everything I've done. Yeah, so what did what did the other teeth the other kids, the other teachers think about you when, when you were coming up through the, the ranks? Nobody knew what I was doing. Nobody. <laughs> right. I mean, I didn't tell everybody. I, I don't know. I guess I very naively thought as a young boy, hey, let me tell you how, how it really began to happen. Uh, one day, one of my teachers in grade school said, uh, you know, I'm going to teach you how to remember the names of the Great Lakes. And so she came up with a picture, uh, you know, that, that told us to see homes floating on the Great Lakes. She said, first of all, imagine the Great Lakes, now see homes floating on them. And we all did. And she said, there's a reason for that, because homes is spelled H-O-M-E-S. And those are the beginning letters of the five Great Lakes, Huron, Ontario, Michigan, Erie, and Superior. You know, I thought to myself, I'll never forget that as long as I live. Every time I think of the Great Lakes, I'll see homes floating on them. And H-O-M-E-S is Huron, Ontario, Michigan, Erie, and Superior. And then I thought, what if I could apply this to other educational needs? And, and that's really what motivated me to do it from a very young age. Yeah, that's, it. that's incredible. I mean, you're obviously, uh, your mind is still working extremely well would you say that a lot of that, you know, what you've done over the years has helped you to stay as sharp as you are? I, I think there's no doubt about that. I mean, if you don't use it, you'll lose it. And I've never stopped using my mind. I mean, I, I create and develop every day of my life, several hours every day still. Uh, when I began, when I retired from basketball, my goal was to revolutionize the entire educational process. And I realized that the problem was initial in learning. Uh, preschool through the sixth grade, because that's where kids develop attitudes that carry them throughout their life. You know, I don't like this. It's no fun. I don't want to do this. And they turn off mentally, physically, quit school, many of them. Unfortunately, millions of young people never learn to read and write. And if you can't read and write, there's no way you can be educated. And so I wanted to change that problem. And I realized I had to know more about the subjects from preschool through the sixth grade than anybody had ever lived. So for the next 40 years, I got up at 3 a.m. and went to bed at midnight for 40 years. I slept three hours a night because you can't get anything done lying in that sack. And between, <laughs> between 3 a.m. and 8 a.m. when the world's not active, you can get a lot of work done. And I read literally hundreds and hundreds of textbooks, the most boring thing I've ever done in my life. I read maybe 150 grammar and punctuation textbooks, for instance, and I tell you, I was convinced that PhDs write textbooks to try to impress other PhDs and not make it fun, fun, simple, and easy for youngsters to learn. So, but I had to know, you know, the, what they needed to learn, how they tried to teach it, et cetera. And I began to change everything. I mean, I began to change everything to make it simple, fun, and easy for youngsters to learn. For instance, you know, for a state in the capital, for instance, they're just words. Uh, but I, I, I'll describe one of the pictures to you that I created very, very early for Arkansas and Little Rock. It's just, they're just two, you know, there's words. But uh, to picture them, I developed an ark like Noah's ark. I had, you know, I'm not an artist. I had artists draw all these things for me. It had arms and legs. It was humanized. Uh, there was a can in front of it. 
and it was holding a saw, an arc, a can, and a saw. That became an Arkansas. Now, since the capital is Little Rock, the can was being used as a holding place so the arc could saw a Little Rock in half. So all of a sudden, <laughs> Arkansas and Little Rock had an identity like an elephant or a monkey. So if a parent was able, when they began to teach their children initially to say, that's a cat, that's a dog, that's a chair, that's an Arkansas. I guarantee you, once you see that picture, like it or not, for the rest of your life, every time you think of Arkansas, that picture will automatically appear in your mind. And I've done that for everything children need to learn. Grammar and punctuation, how to read everything. I've pictured, I've even pictured every sound in the English language. And people say, you can't see a sound. Oh, yes, you can. And so it, it's, been, it's been a remarkable journey. I've loved it. And hopefully in the near future, there will be a website known as Dr. Memory's Universe. I am known as Dr. Memory and have been for decades, where a whole universe of learning will be, uh, will, with my techniques, will be used. There'll be an alphabet planet, a reading planet, a writing planet, a spelling planet, a grammar and punctuation planet, and on and on and on, where I've created hundreds of characters, written hundreds of songs, developed many, many video games, and it's going to be a remarkable, fun place where learning is just automatic and unforgettable. And more than anything else, it'll be fun. That's good stuff. We're, we're talking here with the, uh, the great Jerry Lucas, uh, not only a, a fantastic basketball player, but uh, he was a member of his National Honor Society, class president, um, obviously, uh, Dr. Memory. Uh, you also did you also go by Mr. Memory in the computer? No, no? no. just Dr. Memory. Always been known as Dr. Memory. Yes. Okay. So, what I'd like to do here, you know, I, I want to spend the majority of the time talking about your Middletown years, but so we'll kind of work backwards um, just to kind of get into this. Do, do you still watch uh, the product? Now, I, I saw you walking across the street. Uh, at the Schottenstein Center. I don't know if it was two or three years ago. So I know you were there uh, for the state basketball tournament a couple years ago. But right. how much do you follow the product as far as uh, NBA, college, high school? Uh, I'm not an avid fan. Uh, <clears throat> I watch games, but not avidly like some people do. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, I, I mean, one in the important times when you know, playoffs, et cetera. I watch games. Other than that, I'm mostly, mostly working, working on my computer. But, but I'm still a fan. I love the game. It's changed a lot. It's different than when I played. Uh, but it's still a great game, and I still enjoy watching it. Yeah, I, I've heard you a couple of times in, in something that was kind of uh, synonymous with your teams at Middletown and your teams at Ohio State uh, was you talked about, you know, your group of guys played the right way. What, what I mean, what does that mean to you? Well, it means that a, a, an individual player is part of a group of players that have to function properly to be successful. Uh, they had to have to understand the team concept. There can be no selfishness. Uh, it has to be a group working together as one to accomplish an end goal. And uh, that I was very fortunate throughout my career on most every team I played on to have a group of people uh, that that was the purpose and, and ideal for playing the game. So 
you, after your Middletown days, I said we'll start backwards here. You go off your average point three points pounds. Uh, played under Coach Fred Taylor, and you guys were seventy eight and six in your three years there. Now, for some of my younger listeners, um, in, in those days, you you only were able to play your sophomore through your senior year. Uh, so you were only sophomore, junior, senior year is what you played at Ohio State and what a three years it was. What was it like to play? What, what type of coach was uh, Fred Taylor? Fred was a great coach. I mean, you know, it takes more than knowing X's and O's to be a coach. Uh, Fred knew that, but he also knew human nature. Uh, and he understood people. And you have to because, you, you know, let's say you've got 12 players on a, on a college team. 12 of them have come from 12 different cities and 12 different backgrounds. Uh, and all of them have been a star. Uh, they've all dominated probably what they've done in a lot of cases. Uh, and, and, you know, and perhaps the team concept uh, was not the utmost important thing where they played. They were the guy, you know. And so you, you have to let all of these people know that that's not the way the game should be played. Understand that they're going to have a different role have to understand their personalities. And obviously, uh, different players have to be approached and handled in different ways. And Fred was a master at doing that. And uh, as a result, you know, everybody felt important. Everybody felt that they belonged. And when, obviously, we had uh, a very successful time during those three years. I heard you uh, talk about this one time, but talk about how, you know, I think it was your senior year. Uh, obviously, a ton of schools were after you. But um, did you say something like you you didn't want anybody to recruit you until the season was over? I never wanted to be recruited. Uh, it started when I was in uh, junior high school. Uh, people started trying to contact me, et cetera. And I, I went to my parents and said, Mom and Dad, I don't want to be bothered. So I want you to get in touch with the high school principal, uh, Mr. Walker, who would would become my Paul Walker, who would become my high school coach, uh, the high and and Jerry Nardiello, who was a writer for the Middletown Journal. I, I want us to have a meeting and get the word out that if anybody tries to contact me, I'll never attend their school. I want to be left alone. I want to live a normal life. I don't want to be put in a you know a spotlight or anything. I just want to live a life as a you know as a teenager as I should. And so. The word was out, and I wasn't bothered until the middle of my senior year. And, and, and that happened with a, uh, a coach by the name of Adolph Rupp. <laughs> yeah. So. And, and, and that's quite a story. I was, in, um, I was in English class the middle of the, the season in my senior year, and there was a knock on the door, and the English teacher went to the door and came back to my te- desk and said, Jerry. Adolph Rupp is here. He wants to talk to you. I said, well, send him away. I said, I don't want to talk to him. I said, you know the rule. Everybody in Middletown knows the rule. He knows the rule, too. You know, I'm not going to talk to anybody. And she she said, but I'm from Kentucky. And, you know, a lot of people in this town of Kentucky, please go talk to him. So I did. I went outside and and I said, hello. And he had Harry Lancaster with him. And that was his his assistant. And I said, gentlemen, I don't need uh, to ask you how you got in here. I said, that's obvious how you did. But I said, I'm a student and you've taken me out of class and you know what the rules are. 
and uh, you'll never have to. Uh, I'm sorry that you made the trip, and you'll never have to make it again. Because of you breaking this rule, I will never, ever attend the University of Kentucky. I hope you have a safe trip back home. I have to get back in class. And, <laughs> and that was the end of it. And that hit the newspapers, and nobody ever bothered me again. <laughs> and when my senior year was over, you know, I had made inquiry inquiries and talked to other people, et cetera, and realized I wanted to go to Ohio State. So I called up there and said, I'd like to talk to Coach Taylor, you know, and the secretary said, well, who is this? I said, this is Jerry Lucas. He said, oh, oh, wait a minute, just wait a minute, you know. So I told Fred that I'd like to come to Ohio State, and that's how it happened. So you, you come to Ohio State, you come in a big way. Uh, the 1959-1960 season, you guys go 25-3, and 13-1 in a Big Ten, and you beat uh, a really good Cal team in the finals, uh, which uh, was coached by uh, Pete Knoll. Uh, I believe the star player for Cal was Daryl Imhoff at the time. Right. Um, you, you come in with a group uh, with John Havlicek, um, you also had Larry Siegfried, Mel Howe, Joe Roberts on this team. But I'd be remiss um, when a couple of people I told that I was going to be talking to you, they said, oh, ask, ask him about Bobby Knight. We, we, Every, everybody, everybody wants to ask about Bobby Knight. Yeah. Yeah. And, what, and, what was Bobby like at that age? Same as, he, same as he's always been. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> as a freshman, he, he thought he ought to be coaching the varsity. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's Bobby. That's the way Bobby's always been. You know, he's always been up forward. He's always been kind of brash and, you know, and, uh, you know, I had confidence in himself. And uh, he, he, he was a uh, – Bobby was a good basketball player. He wasn't a great basketball player. You know, Bobby was a decent shooter. But Bobby's problem was he played in mud. <laughs> Which meant he was a little yeah. bit slow. <laughs> <laughs> and we always we always kidded him about it, but yeah. you know, Bobby's a dear friend of mine. He has been since, you know, I, I met Bobby at a an All Star game, the North South All Star game in Ohio. Prior, you know, prior to uh, prior to going to Ohio State, and we met then. That's when I first met John Ablicek. Now I had I had known Mel known Mel Knoll before, who would become uh, our teammate as well because. Middletown played Columbus East every year in Middletown. And so I had, I, I knew Mel, I knew Joe Roberts who would become a teammate because he was on that Columbus East team as well. Uh, but that's when I first met all of the, that, that's what you call a super soft, uh, super class of freshmen who would come in myself and John Havlicek and Mel Noll and Gary Gerhardt and Bobby Knight, you know, so that, that was quite a class and uh, it, it was the mainstay for the next three years. Uh, do you have any good Havlicek stories? What, what was, uh, what was he? Cause I'm, I'm grew up pretty close to Bridgeport, Ohio, where he's originally from. Um, well, I'll tell you about, you know, two weeks, uh, I, I spent two weeks with John in the summer prior, uh, prior to our coming to, to school. I just wanted to get to know him a little better, spend some time with him. I met his uh, neighbors there, Joe and Phil Necro. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and nobody ever heard of them at that time. You know, obviously they went on to have phenomenal uh, baseball careers, Hall of Fame careers, et cetera. And uh, I played in a summer league with John. Uh, the two weeks I was there, uh, it, was in, it was held in, across the river in West Virginia. And one particular game we played, we, we played against the West Virginia State Penitentiary players. And the, <laughs> the, the court on which we played was up on a hill. 
and there, there was a hill that went down from it. And we, we, were, we had been playing not very long, I, I guess five or six minutes. And one of their guards kicked the ball. It was obvious to me that it was done purposely. It wasn't in the process you know, of a normal playing situation. And the ball went down this hill. So he went off running after it. And he got to the bottom of the hill, jumped a fence, got in the car, and zoom, he was gone. So that was <laughs> that was the most unusual, unusual fast break I ever saw in my life. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I, I appreciated the, those two weeks with John because we did get to know each other better. We became uh, roommates at Ohio State and Baker Hall and, of course, had had a, uh, a really phenomenal op- uh, four years together there. So in the summer – um, of 1960, you get to experience one of the, uh, I'm assuming one of the greatest things that you got to experience in, in basketball, uh, getting uh, to play in Rome, Italy in the 1960 Olympics. What, what was that experience like? Well, it was phenomenal. You know, I mean, it, it, it's hard to, it's hard to tell you about it. You can say all the words and tell mm-hmm. you how great it was, but it, it can't really match how great it really was, you know, to represent our country, to play there was the greatest challenge of my life because Pete Newell was our coach. And, uh, you know, he had, he was the coach of Cal that we defeated for the national championship and they had won the national championship the year before that. And he told me that I wasn't going to be able to play the center position, which was my natural position. I had always been a center because there were, you know, one, six, uh, one, six, two, six, 11 and one seven foot, player other players on the team and he said you're gonna to have to play the forward position i said i can't do that i can't learn how to be a forward in six weeks you know i said i'm going to be and this is the first time i ever said anything like that because i never talked anything like i said to him at that time i said i am going to be the starting center on this team he said no you're not i said yes i am i said you'll find out there'll be injuries there'll be other things and you're gonna to have to play me in scrimmages at center and you'll find out I'll be the hardest working player that's ever played for you. And I am going to be the starting center. And fortunately I was the starting center on that team. And he paid me a tremendous comment after, after the Olympics, you know, he said that I was a, uh, I was the best player he ever coached in his life. And Oscar Roberts and Jerry West were on that team as well. So he, he had some very favorable things to say to me. And it, it was just, you know, to win a gold medal, have it put around your neck and experience that is just something that very few people in this world get to experience. Yeah. And again, for the younger listeners out there, this was when uh, amateurs were still going over for USA. Yeah, you, you couldn't if you were a pro, you couldn't play then. So yeah, and you only had one opportunity then, because if you went on to professional basketball, you, you couldn't play in the Olympics again. So. It was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And a lot of people consider this the greatest amateur basketball team ever assembled. Uh, and you and, and Oscar were right there at the top, averaging about 17 a game in those games. I think, did you shoot like 84% from the I did. field? I did. For the entire Olympics, I shot 84%. Yes, I, <laughs> I, always shot a, I always shot a high percentage. and I led the nation all three years I played in college. I, with uh, like 67 percent for you know all total each year it was that you know so uh yes i i uh i i met my first game against it was against japan and i think i was 13 out of 13 in my first olympic game so i i did shoot very well throughout that entire olympics so you guys go on to win the gold medal um you average 
nearly 102 points a game, uh, end up beating Brazil in the title game. And so you would head back to Columbus for year number two. Um, and 27 and one, uh, the only loss was in the championship game to Cincinnati. Right. Uh, and it, ironically, you got to beat Louisville and Kentucky back to back in that tournament. Um, was this, would you say this was the best team that you guys had of the three or no, no sophomore year was the best team. Okay. Yeah. It, it was the, it was the best of the three. There's no doubt about that. You know, we, we had, <clears throat> you know, Joe Roberts was on that team. Uh, and Dick Furry was on that team as a backup, you know, uh, uh, forward. And so that was the best team we had. Uh, I, I, there's no doubt about it. As when we'll talk about that, I assume coming up, my sophomore year in high school was the best team I had for the three years we played there as well. Yeah. So you guys uh, finished runner up uh, and then the following season in 61, 62, uh, you guys uh, go 26 and two, uh, get finish runner up again. Uh, to Cincinnati. Uh, this was a team with you and Doug McDonald and Dick Respect, Gary Brads, um, which would finish your career at 78 and six. Now uh, you were three time NCA all tourney, two time NCA tournament, most outstanding player. Um, I think you still are the only three time all big or big 10 player of the year. Would, would that be correct? Uh, that is correct. Yes. So quite a quite an experience uh, on the campus there in Columbus, uh, and then interesting back in this time frame, the the NBA draft was a little bit different, and you end up going to the Cincinnati Royals. So tell us how that worked back then. Well, the the NBA draft wasn't different. There there was a rule that was different. <clears throat> a, an NBA team could draft a player in high school. Uh, if he was within a certain radius of the city where they were located. Now, I don't recall what that radius was, 50, 75 miles, something like that. And my hometown, Middletown, Ohio, was only 30 miles away from Cincinnati, the Cincinnati Royals. So I was drafted when I was in high school, and that was an incredible gamble for, a fra for an NBA franchise because that player, if a player under those, that circumstance was drafted, had to be uh, that franchise's first round pick the year that that person or player's college class would graduate because no player could play until their college class graduated in those days. And no matter what happened to that player, he, may, he went on to college and maybe he would have become uh, a, not a good player. You know, he, he, he didn't perform up to what, was anticipated, or maybe he was an automobile accident and had a leg amputated. That player still had to be that franchise's number one pick, no matter what happened to him. So it, it was a remarkable gamble that, that a team was taking. And I don't know how many players were drafted under that circumstance. I know Wilt Chamberlain and I were. I don't know if there were others or not. There may have been, but I, I'm not sure. So you obviously you, you get picked uh, and you start your career with the Royals. Um, your NBA list of accomplishments is, is pretty vast. Uh, you were in the Hall of Fame in 1980, seven-time All-Star. You won, obviously, the 73 championship with the Knicks, five-time All-NBA. 
uh, rookie of the year, 1963-64. But one of my favorite stats is uh, apparently you had a 40-rebound game your rookie year. I did, yes. Yes, against Wilt, against the 76ers, yes. Uh, and, and, you know, rebounding was always important to me uh, throughout my entire career. Uh, that's where I real I thought I could help my team the most. And, you know, I mean, I had a kind of software in my mind. I knew where every ball was going. And so I, I broke a lot of rules. I never blocked out because I knew where the ball was going. So rebounding was very important. I also, in the NBA, Wilt Chamberlain and I were the only two players in the history of the NBA, even, even up to now, that averaged more than 20 points and more than 20 rebounds a game for an entire season more than once. Now, most people aren't aware of that. And, you know, when they talk about the great rebounders of the game, you know, I played so long ago that I'm not mentioned very much. But, uh, you know, that that's uh, there are only two people in history that have ever done that. So that's quite an accomplishment. I was hoping you would mention that about the, the rebounding. I, I've heard you talk about it was kind of like a clock in your mind where, you know, three o'clock, it, it was come off well, the outside. Well, I, no, I, I did that in practicing missing shots i uh-huh. and when i was young, when i was very young i would go out and i'd miss shots eight hours in a row on purpose and miss at certain spots on the rim i imagine there was a clock on top of the rim and i'd miss it on the outside of three o'clock to make it bounce to the right the inside of three o'clock make it bounce to the left if i made a basket i made a mistake always watching where the ball was going why and i always watched every basketball player i saw shoot a shot shoot it see what happened, where it was going, why. So I developed a kind of a mental software in my mind, and I knew where the ball was going. So why should I waste my time blocking some guy out 10, 15 feet from the basket when I knew where it was going? I just went and got it, you know. So, you know, you block somebody out, you're not in an athletic position. I mean, you're down, your weight's back. You know, you aren't moving towards the ball. So uh, that I only the only time I ever blocked out was when I was close to the hoop, and I had to under those circumstances. But other than that, I never did. When I went to Ohio State, I, after, you know, we practiced blocking out every day. <laughs> and, of course, I was going to do that because our coach wanted us to. But I went to I went to Coach Taylor after two or three weeks, and I said, Coach, may I speak with you? And he said, yes. I said, I, I'm going to do everything you say in practice. I'm a consummate team player, and you don't have to worry about that. But when a game starts, I'm never going to block out. <laughs> he said, what are you talking about? I said, well, I, I know where every ball is going to go, Coach, and I'm not going to waste my time waiting you know and i'm gonna go get it he said you can do it do it and of course <laughs> that's what i did my entire career so obviously the game has changed uh significantly um you know with training and just so much different about the world now anyway how do you think that a player like yourself would fare in today's nba game i think i, I the same way i did when i played before you know, it, it, there there are different training techniques. There are different this, different that. I would, you know, I would have been been involved in them. And you know, I, I don't. I when I watch an NBA game today, I, I see how, you know, rebounding would be simpler today than it was back then in a lot of cases, mm-hmm. uh, because everybody is out at the three point line. You know, I mean, right. the, the game has dramatically changed, and so. I mean, the opportunity to get rebounds would be even better today than it was then. And, of course, I could shoot it from any place. I was the first big guy to go away from the basket. You know, uh, when I when I played center for the Knicks, first time I got a chance to play center, 
in the NBA, I, I always moved away to bring the big guys away. And when I played against Wilt, he was dumbfounded. You know, he, he didn't know what to do. I mean, he's like a fish out of water. And and uh, all the big guys said, where are you going? What are you doing? You know, and so, I mean, I I, I could make him out there without a problem. And, you know, and it, it gave us somewhat of an advantage. So you were one of the greats. But when you think about back then, like what one player jumps out at you and where you walked on the court and you're like, wow, that guy's impressive. There are a lot of them, <laughs> you know, yeah. not just one, you know, Will Chamberlain, Bill Russell, Jerry West, Oscar Robertson, Elton Baylor, Bob Pettit. I mean, you can go on and on and on there. There are a lot of great players. And there were only, when I came into the league, there were only nine teams. Uh-huh. There were only 108 professional basketball players in the entire world uh, because there were no other professional leagues or teams anywhere else in the world then. So, I mean, every, every, every game you played, you played against a great player, you know? So, uh, and uh, it, it, it was, you know, it was unique, you know? So um, you didn't, you didn't get any days off. I guarantee you that, you know, there were, they were all, they were, they were just great. Play, you know, there was a, there was, there were super players. Now I might, I want to say this too, out of those 108 players, five of them were my teammates including me from Ohio state, which is, which is phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you, you had a lot of success in the back end of your career, as far as uh, team success, uh, when you went to the Knicks and you, the 71, 72 season, you guys under red Holzman get to the, uh, the finals and you lose to uh, a Lakers team, uh, and I believe that was Elgin Baylor's last year in the league before he retired. Um, but they they had Wilt, uh, Jimmy McMillan, Jerry West, Gail Goodrich, uh, Bill Bridges, Happy Harrison, Keith Erickson. It was a loaded, uh, you know, team. And then you you guys were, uh, you know, Bill Bradley, uh, Walt Frazier, Dave DeBusher, Earl Monroe, Willis Reed. Uh, and a guy that uh, a lot of people will know, Phil Jackson, Henry Bibby. Um, so just so many, just like you had mentioned, there's just so many household names. Yeah, but let me tell you about that series. Let me tell you the key thing about that series. All right. Uh, the Lakers have won 33 games in a row that year, which is still an NBA record. And, of course, we're starting in Los Angeles because, obviously, they had the best record. And Willis Reed couldn't play in that series. He was injured, and I, I was a starting center against Will. And uh, at, at the end of the third quarter, we had them humiliated. They were down, I don't know, close to 40 points. We just, we just ripped them up because I moved away, and Will didn't know what to do. Will was dumbfounded. And nobody he had ever guarded had ever gone out there. You know, and I was out past today what is a three-point line, I was bombing away and making them, and and you know they he he didn't know what to do, and so Jerry West yelled at him, "Get out, get out on him!" So he'd come toward me, I'd go around him very easily because he's coming forward, and, and he had never been down to defensive position in his life anyway because he'd always stood up to, to guard the center, and if I when I ran around went around him, if nobody came to me, I had a layup. If they did, I threw it to DeBusher or Bradley and swish, swish, swish. So there's no way they could compete against us. The only way they could have competed against us is to take Wilt out of the game, and they weren't going to do that. But unfortunately for us, Dave DeBusher got hurt at the end of the third quarter, and he could play no longer in the series. So Wilt was out. DeBusher, I mean, Willis was out. 
uh, DeBusher was out, and we had to bring in uh, Phil Jackson to take DeBusher's place. And unfortunately, Phil wasn't a very good shooter. He couldn't throw it in the ocean from the beach. And so all they did was put Wilt on Phil, which means he really didn't have to guard anybody, and they beat us four in a row. But I guarantee you, and Jerry West never likes to hear this. He gets angry when he hears this. I guarantee you, had DeBusher not gotten hurt, we'd have beaten them four in a row. And unfortunately, Jerry would have never won a championship, but that's just the matchups that were there, and they just could not match up with us properly, even though they were a great team. It, it didn't work for them under those circumstances, but until, you know, but then when Dave got hurt, we were on the short end of the stick for sure. Well, in 72-73, you were not on the short end of the stick, and you you have a tough series with Boston. You beat them 4-3, and then uh, you flipped the script on the Lakers and, and knocked them out 4-1. Um, what do you recall about that series? Well, you know, we won it 4-1, and, you know, we, we were kind of dominant against them, and that was – that kind of – solidified my career, if you will. It made me the first player in the history of basketball to win high school state championships, which we haven't had the opportunity to talk about yet, and I hope we do, and uh, uh, a national championship in college, an Olympic gold medal, and a world professional championship. And there are only two other players that have ever done that, So, and that made me the first. So that, that kind of you know, was the last crown in, uh, jewel in my crown, if you will, from, from being a basketball player. Which, I mean, it's just baffling to me that, that you were able to accomplish that. Uh, it's hard enough to win one of those at any of those levels, and a lot of people never get to do that. Um, well, you, well you most, were, play, most players, I mean, how many players yeah. have there been? And only three have right. ever done it. So, right, it's incredible. I mean, it's very, very rare, obviously. So you end up retiring uh, following the 73-74 season. Um the, the Celtics uh, end your, your career there uh, in the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, your old buddy John Havlicek had 33 points, uh, playing 48 minutes in that game. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you on a do – you, do you remember what you went out with in your final game? I have no idea and don't care. Yeah, so uh, you ended up uh, closing your career out there uh, with the Knicks um, in the 74 season, but – what I wanted to really get into was, was the Middletown stuff. And, again, um, you, you would play your sophomore year because at that time, correct me if I'm wrong, you, I think you were at Roosevelt Middle School. Was freshmen still considered like junior high back then? Yeah, in those, in those days, uh, K through 6 was grade school. 7, 8, and 9 was junior high school. And 10, 11, and 12 was high school. So as a ninth grader, I couldn't play on the high school team. I had the ability to, but I couldn't. But I'm going to tell you something unique about that time. Uh, nobody knew anything about me, basically. Uh, I began, I began uh, in, between my fourth and fifth grade years, I decided I wanted to be as good a basketball player as I could. And in the summers, I practiced 12 to 15 hours every day. Tried to shoot 5,000 shots a day. And every shot I shot had a purpose. A lot of kids go out and shoot. They have no idea what the purpose of the shot is, whether they accomplished what they was trying to do, how they, how they can make it better, why was it wrong, you know, what did I do right, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I never shot a shot in my life without, without a purpose in, in doing that. So 
after a few years, I was becoming a really good basketball player, but people didn't know it. There were no, there was no communication in those days. Forget cell phones. My family did not own a telephone. We didn't own a car and we didn't own a television. And I didn't know what was happening one street over, much less what was happening, you know, three streets over or, or in another city or another community or around the world like kids do today with their cell phones. And in junior high school, when I played, Nobody came to the games. And I say nobody, very few. My parents both worked. Other parents of my teammates worked. You know, teams would be there. Coaches would be there. Managers would be there. And maybe four or five other people. So, you know, I was scoring a lot of points. And that appeared in the paper. But nobody really knew if I could play or not. And, uh, and, and I could play uh, because I had worked so very, very hard. Now, we had a couple of players that were older than I that played at Middletown. Owen Lawson and Eric Back, they played on two state championship teams in 1952 to 1953. And from 1944 uh, uh, to 1959, that 15-year period was the greatest era of Ohio success of Ohio basketball in history. Uh, Middletown won seven state championships, should have won three more. Had an eight, eighty-eight percent winning percentage. It was, it was phenomenal, and so there was just great interest in basketball. So the these two players started a summer league. Our coach, who Paul Walker, couldn't be involved with us in the summer. It was against the rules in those days. So when they would when they would travel around playing against University of Dayton, University of Cincinnati, Western Michigan, Eastern Michigan, etc. They would invite them to come to Middletown to play a Middletown summer team. And they said, we have better players working in Armco Steel than you have on your team. And in many, <laughs> in, in many instances, that was true because a lot of Middletown players, although they had many co uh, college offers to play, would not go and work in, middle, in Armco Steel. So after my ninth grade year, many of my friends said, you got to try out for the summer team. I said, they don't want me. I said, they're going to be playing against – college All-Americans, and I'm a junior high school player. They said, you got to go, you got to go. So I had never even met Owen Lawson and Eric back because they were in college, you know, and so forth. So so uh, that early that summer, very early that summer, after they got back, I, I went over to Sunset Park where, you know, everybody played, and I introduced myself to them. They said, man, you're tall. I said, well, yeah, you know, I was 6'8 when I was 14, so I quit growing at 14. And so I said, I would like to try out for the summer team. And Eric Back said, not a chance. There's no way you're going to play on this team. They said, he said, our first game is against University of Dayton. Now, Dayton that year, I think they went 25 and three. They were the, uh, they, by one point, they lost the NIT championship, which was more important than the NCAA then. And their star player was a player named Johnny Horan, who was an All-American and the sixth overall pick in the NBA draft pick number six in the draft. So he was a great player. And Eric said, you would have to play against Johnny Horan in, in this first game. And there is no way you can do that. And so Owen Lawson says, well, wait a minute, Eric. How do you know he can't play? I said, let's, let's let him play with us and we'll find out. Well, they found out very quickly that I couldn't <laughs> play. And Eric, ba Eric back called timeout and said, I was wrong. We found our starting center for this. Okay, well, after we had played, Johnny Horan came to Owen Lawson and said, my God, what grade's this kid in? And, I, and, and uh, Owen said, well, he'll be a sophomore. Only a sophomore? What college does he go to? And Owen <laughs> says, 
Johnny, you got to realize this kid is a junior high player. He'd be a sophomore in high school next year. <laughs> and, and, and Johnny fell to his knees. He couldn't believe what he had heard, you know. So, so Middletown realized that I could play. And so there was phenomenal anticipation for the upcoming year of basketball. There was always a great deal of anticipation for Middletown, Middletown basketball seasons, but more so this year than ever. And I've, re I've recently published a book about that year. It's called Midi Magic and Mind Magic. Midi Magic reverts to the Middletown Middies and the magic that we created. And Mind Magic is about what I've done with my mind to revolutionize the educational system in America. And Mini Magic is a great basketball story. Uh, it, it, I, it's kind of like a cross between Hoosiers and Remember the Titans. It's a great read. It's a great story. And everybody reads it, gets back to me and said, my God, I love this book. It's a great story. So your listeners who might be interested in knowing about that time can obtain the book at midimagic.com. And that's M-I-D-D-I-E magic.com. It's a great read. Any of your listeners will really enjoy it. Yeah, Jerry, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll post the link to that in, in the, uh, in the podcast notes so people can okay. go. And, and I know that I'm going to be one of the people that go and check that out. Um, so the, the season you're referring to uh, your sophomore year, that 1955, 1956 season, there at uh, Wade E. Miller Gym, uh, which is now known as Jerry Lucas Court. Uh, you're playing for a, a legend in his own right there in the state, Paul Walker. Uh, now, he had already won three state titles prior right. to the time that you got there. Right. And uh, Middletown had already won five state championships by that time, too. Yeah, Jerry, I had a question. <clears throat> I noticed that uh, real quickly after they win their first one, they switched head coaches what, what happened there? Because um, there was, what, three head coaches that won state titles in that time period? Yeah, yeah, but that was before my time, you know, in, in, okay. the, early, in the early 40s. I was born in 40s. Yeah. So, but Royner Green was the coach. He went to the Ivy League. Another coach came in. And then, and then Paul Walker was hired because Tiger Ellison, the football coach, wanted him to help him. He wanted him to help him coach football, you know. And Elmo uh, uh, Lingro, who was the athletic director, said, look, I can't hire another football coach. You know, I, I, we don't, we don't have it in our budget and we can't do that. And, uh, Tiger Ellison says, well, hire him as a basketball coach. And he said, well, how do you know he can coach basketball? He can, you go, you interview him. And so that, that's how Paul Walker got the job. He was because Tiger Ellison wanted him to be one of his assistant coach for football. <laughs> so Paul Walker, um, ended up his career with 695 total wins. I think he won about 80% of his games at, at Middletown. Uh, 17 district titles, eight regionals, five states. He was a nation's high school. He's in the National High School Sports Hall of Fame, Ohio Basketball Hall of Fame, obviously. And he's uh, deserving he was, of every bit of it. That's for sure. Yeah. And he was the 1974 National Coach of the Year. He also went back-to-back -back in 52-53 with that Cliff Hafner team. Um, what, was, what was it that made Paul special? Well, once again, he was a great coach. I mean, I talked about Fred Taylor earlier, mm -hmm. uh, the fact that he knew basketball, but he knew people. And he was incredibly respected. You know, in those days, 
coaches and teachers were highly respected, a lot more than they are today. Our young people are totally different uh, now than they were, you know, decades ago. And uh, he had tremendous respect, and he had respect because he deserved and earned that respect, and he knew people once again. He was a coach that knew people, you know, knew how to handle people. We had uniquely different players in that time. And uh, he knew how to handle them. He knew their needs. He knew, you know, how to push the right buttons. And and obviously, we had unbelievable success, winning seventy six games in a row, which is still, you know, a record in Ohio. And I don't know if it'll ever be broken or not. Uh, so, I mean, he was a, he was a great coach, and he had great and he had great players. You know, we 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 had some phenomenal players on that on that fifty five fifty six team. Skeeter Wallace went on. To, to play uh, for Kent State, and he was all Mac three years, led it in scoring. He was a super player. Bob Cole, who's one of the funniest people that ever lived, you'll find that out if you read Mini Magic and Mind Magic, went on to North Carolina State where he broke all of their uh, freshman scoring records, and he was coming close to the school record one day, and the coach took him out at the end of the third quarter, and he got angry and went home and set the dorm on fire. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the kind of guy. And he always said to our coach, Paul Walker, why'd you do that? He, we named him, we, his nickname was Hicks. His name was Bob Cole. Why'd you do that, Hicks? Well, I just wasn't thinking, coach. I just wasn't thinking. And so he didn't do a whole lot of thinking, you know. And so he got kicked out of school. And, I mean, it, I mean, it's, he did some crazy things. Yeah, he really did. But, but he was a great shooter. I mean, he was one of the, one of the best shooters I ever saw in my life. And I played, played with some great shooters. But Bob Cole was one of the better shooters I ever saw in, in my history of, of basketball. So you scored uh, 719 points in that initial season there for 20, uh, almost 29 points a game. The one game, uh, Jerry, that jumped out at me in a regular season was, uh, I know this is a bitter rival for you guys, was the, the 81-79 game against Hamilton, which you guys moved those games to the Cincinnati, Cincinnati Gardens. Uh, you, you tipped in a shot with 39 seconds to play. And when I was doing my research, apparently there was 21 lead changes, 21 lead changes in this game, 10 ties. You ended up with 32 points, and Spud Hornsby ended up with 30 for Hamilton. Uh, and Hamilton head coach uh, Warren, is this Schuler? Yes, Schuler. Schuler, okay. He said that you were the finest high school sophomore he had ever seen. Well, that's, that's, that's a high compliment. You know, in those games, as you said, were played at Cincinnati Gardens. The three years I played high school basketball, I never played a game in Hamilton's gym. The Hamilton players never played in our gym because there was so much interest. We took it to Cincinnati Gardens, and we drew over 15,000 people, which was remarkable. It was an all-time record then. It was a regular season. It was not a playoff. It was not a state tournament. There was that much interest in the Hamilton-Middletown game and that was a very close game now the next game we played them we beat them you know by far more points but uh uh that that was a great rival and uh it, it was there was tremendous interest and you mentioned bob cole uh, bob had a, an incredible game in your uh in your regional uh against cincinnati hughes who was uh the defending regional champion down there in cincinnati uh bob cole had 37 points in that regional game, you beat Portsmouth and Cincinnati Hughes to get to the state tournament. But let me tell you a story, if I could. I would love it. About Bob Cole and that game. 
All right. Now, the year before, and I was still in junior high school, the year before, Cincinnati Hughes beat Middletown in the finals of the regional. And a, a player named Ray Apple, who was an All-State player, uh, was the reason that Middletown lost. Uh, I don't know how many points Ray scored, maybe 30-some that night. And he made two free throws with a few seconds left on the clock to beat Middletown to, to keep them from going to the state tournament. Now, the starting center for Middletown, unfortunately, was declared – uh, he wasn't allowed to play for some reason. I don't really know what it was. Uh, and, or, you know, so the starting center who had played all year wasn't able to play. But Bob Cole had a thing for Ray Apple. He was, I mean, he had Ray Apple on his mind the, that, whole, <laughs> that whole summer in the beginning of the next year. After we had our first game, uh, I had a friend named J.B. Deaton, who was the funniest person that ever lived, which if you read my book, you'll find out why. And he, he and Bob did a lot of things together. And Bob said, JB, we're going to go watch Ray Apple play. You know, they were playing very near Middletown because, you know, uh, I, I got to scout him because I'm going to guard him when we play him again. JB said, and he always had a try. He said, we ain't even got them on our schedule, Bob. Why should we go see him play? You know, that's the way he talked. <laughs> and so they went and they scouted Ray Apple. And Bob came back and he came back to the, on Monday to that practice. And he said, coach. Talking to Coach Walker, he said, "We, we went. I went to scout Coach uh, to scout Ray Apple, and when we play them, I want to guard him. When we play them later in the year, and and Coach Walker said, Hicks, what are you talking about? They're not even on our schedule. Get Ray Apple out of your mind and play against who we're playing. Well, that was impossible. He talked about him all year long. Okay, so now." We come to the point where we're going to play the regionals, and but we're playing against Portsmouth in our first, you know, in the first regional game. And that Monday at practice, Hicks came and he said, Coach, I want to guard Ray Apple Saturday night. And of course, Coach Walker said, Hicks, shut up. We're not playing Cincinnati Hughes and Ray Apple. We're playing Portsmouth. Get Ray Apple out of your mind and think about Portsmouth. Well, that was impossible. You know, there's no way. There was no way. And so every day, I want to guard Ray Apple. I want to guard Ray Apple. And Hicks wasn't known as a great defensive player to begin with. So, he, you know, a coach would say, he said, he would say, Hicks, you can't guard a post. You can't guard Ray Apple. He's an all-star player. He would eat you alive. I want to guard Ray Apple. I want to guard Ray Apple. Well, anyway, we beat Portsmouth handily. And now we're going to play against Cincinnati Hughes and Ray Apple in the regional final. Well, on the bus ride from Middletown to Cincinnati at the gardens where we played them, Coach Walker announced, team, I want to talk to you. He said, I've never had a player so adamant about guarding another player. And so Hicks, <laughs> Hicks, I'm going to let you start guarding Ray Apple. But when he eats you alive, which I expect him to do, you're done guarding Ray Apple. Thank you, coach. Thank you, coach. I get to guard Ray Apple. So now. We get ready to start the game, and we're out for our layup drills. And, you know, when you shoot layup drills, you come around to midcourt and, you know, shoot and you rebound and you're coming near midcourt. And I'm behind Hicks in the layup line, and he is his gaze is absolutely, totally fixed on Ray Apple. So finally he comes, you know, face-to-face -face Ray Apple, at, at the midcourt line as they're going through the layup drill, and he reached into his warm-up pants and pulled out a big red apple, took a bite out of it and said, Apple, I am going to eat you alive tonight. Well, 
everybody, I mean, it was a, such an uproar. Everybody saw it in the garden and laughed like crazy. And so now it's time to get ready for the game. And we had a, a unique thing that we did. It, it had been a tradition for a long time. As our starting players were introduced, they would go lay on the floor with their heads near each other. And, we, you know, our legs would come out like the spokes in a wheel. And so we had snap-off pants, snaps down, warm-up pants down the side so you could rip them off very easily. And Bob Cole was the last player introduced in, in, in that particular game. So we all snap off our pants and get out there. And, and Hicks is introduced, and he snaps off, off his pants, and he had nothing on but a jock strap. <laughs> he was so excited about Garden Ray Apple that he forgot to put on his trunks, you know. And Coach Walker <laughs> threw a towel at him and said, Hicks, get in there and put your pants on, you know. So, so he came out, and the game started, and Hicks just absolutely – played the game of his life, scored 37 points, as you said, and Ray Apple only scored seven points while Hicks was gardening. It was the best defensive work that Hicks had ever done, <clears throat> and it was a remarkable story, you know. And uh, there are some other funny things happen, but, I, you know, I'll not go into all of them now. But <laughs> once, once again, that's all in the book, Midi Magic and Mind Magic. It, it was and it, it was it was the culmination of, to something that began the first, the second week of the season and culminated with that happening uh, against with, with Hicks guarding Ray Apple. And now Ray Apple went on to Ohio State, and I got to know Ray better. But Ray was a, a great baseball player and was in the New York Mets organization and, and the minor leagues for a number of years. So – after you guys uh, dispose of Hughes, uh, you would move on. And interesting enough, in, in the 55-56 season, uh, the state tournament would be at the Cleveland Arena, uh, where you would play, I'm assuming, the hometown favorite there, uh, Cleveland East Tech. Um, in, in this game, uh, I think there was about 12,000 on hand. More than that, whatever it held, it was sold out. And uh, I don't know exactly what it held. I think it hold more than that, but it was sold out. And there were two of inter two interesting spectators that, uh, in that game. One was Jack Nicholas, and one was Bobby Knight. You know, and I'd never met either of them, but I knew years later, when beginning to know them, that they were both at that game. Well, it was an incredible game, especially for you. Um, a game that. You guys trailed a lot of the first half against East Tech uh, and, and then kind of, you know, got it going in the second half and, and end up winning the game 99-78. But you have arguably the greatest game in state tournament history with 53 points and 28 rebounds in this game. Uh, what, what do you recall from, from the game against East Tech? Well, what, what, I really, <clears throat> what I really recall is wrapped around Bob Cole, Hicks, you know. Hicks never he Hicks never saw a shot he didn't like. Okay, so I mean he was a gunner. <laughs> he loved yeah. to shoot more than anything else. And my friend JB Deaton, who was kind of like a brother to me, said to Hicks one time, "Hicks, why don't you ever pass the ball to Jury?" You know. <laughs> and Hicks said, "I do pass it to him, JB. Every time I miss a shot, he tips it in, and that's an assist, as far as I'm concerned." You know. But, <clears throat> At, at somewhere, I don't know, uh, some somewhere in the end, near the end of the first quarter, Hicks came back to the – we had a timeout, and he came and he said to Coach, Coach, he said, 
I figured something out. And, and the coach said, well, what's that, Hicks? He said, we need to start passing the ball to Jerry. He said, they can't guard him inside. I've realized that. And everybody, every player on the team looked at Hicks with their mouths open. They couldn't believe that Hicks said he was going to pass the ball. So, so anyway, they, they started feeding me a little bit, and I did end up scoring 53 points. And I was only 15 years old. So it, it, was a, it was a remarkable game. They were rated number one in the state, I believe, and we number two because we were from a smaller town, didn't have as many many votes, but we ended up, as you said, beating them by 21 points. It was, it was a, a great night for Middletown basketball. So you would, you'd cap it off uh, beating another, uh, you know, state powerhouse, Camp McKinley. Uh, you run them 91-69 uh, to win the state title at Cleveland Arena. You're the first team to go undefeated and win a state championship since 1948. You also shared the national title that season. Uh, you would you, you tapered off a little bit in this game. You had 44 points. Uh, team Johnny Dykes ends up with 18 and Bob Cole with 16. You, Dykes, and Cole uh, were first team all tournament, and your 190 points in two games broke the previous mark of 148, which was also held by Middletown. But one thing that I, I enjoyed reading here was your coach and McKinley's head coach, Buff Rerick, uh, they agreed that, uh, and a lot of other people agreed, that this was perhaps the best team the state had ever seen. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think it's still the best uh, team the state has ever seen. Uh, earlier, I, I told you, you know, what the players went on to do in college, et cetera. A great team. It, it really was. It had everything that a team needed. Uh, you know, and we, we were a big team, too. I was 6'8". You know, Dykes was 6'6", six, six, uh, um, uh, Skeeter was about 6'5", Bob Cole was 6'4", and Jay Bird was, I don't know, 6 feet, 6'1". Six, but East Tech was bigger than us. They were even bigger, you know. Uh, but, but it was a great team. It had everything you need from a team. It had not only strong players that started, but, but good backup players. And, and uh, it, it ended a perfect season. And uh, everything that was anticipated in Middletown, all – all the great expectations that the whole town thought about became uh, uh, to, uh, uh, to an ultimate positive end, and it was a phenomenal season. Jerry, that, that uh, two-game performance, uh, 97 points and, and 49 rebounds, uh, I mean, I, that's got to be the best um, semifinal final performance in, in state tournament history. I think it is uh, from a scoring standpoint, et cetera. Uh, but, uh, you know, the most important thing, which was always the most important thing to me, is our team won. You know, regardless of how many points I scored or regardless of how many points anybody else scored or how many rebounds anybody got, we won. And that was our ultimate goal. And that's the whole purpose of a group of young men working together and playing together. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was uh, culminated in, in, in a great result. Yeah, the, the, so you follow that up in 56-57 with 27-0 season. Uh, you win the national championship that year. You shared it with no one. Uh, the state tournament had moved back to St. John Arena. And, uh, you know, a lot of the same here uh, in 56-57. But the state tournament was a little bit different that year as far as you know, the games uh, against uh, Toledo McComber 
uh, and Kent Roosevelt were, were a little bit closer than the previous season. Yeah, the, our, our, our team, my sophomore year, was the best team we had mm-hmm. uh, by far. You know, we still had the best team in the state the next couple of years, but it was not as good as my sophomore year. That, that, was, a, that was a remarkable team. But we still had really good players, and of course, we were fortunate to win the state championship again. Yeah do you do you remember uh, knocking the shot down to tie the game? Well, of course, uh, yeah, yeah, I do. I, that's yeah, that that's the most remarkable shot I've ever made in my career. You know, I we didn't have, we didn't have a lot of close games, so there wasn't much opportunity to to make a shot near the game that was so important. But in that game. Uh, we were, I, I believe, I don't know if these facts are true or not, but we were seven points down with like 57 seconds left in the game or something like that. I don't know. You know, I don't know exactly what it was, but I made a couple of hoops come back. I made another hoop and, you know, we we're one down and we got the ball at the end and, you know, and I got the ball near half court and let it rip. I, I let it go. And I, I don't think it was out of my hand a foot or two when the gun went off and the ball went in and, and uh, so it tied up the game, and we were able to win the game a little easier in overtime. And that was, uh, I believe, the most remarkable shot I made in my career. It was the most important uh, shot I made for all of the circumstances around it, you know, that allowed us an opportunity to go on to play for the state championship. So it was it was quite – now a lot of people had given up on us. Uh, Middletown fans had ripped their tickets in half and, you know, left the arena and gone downstairs, you know, one of them was my friend, J.B. Deaton, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, I said, jury, he said, I gave up on you guys. He said, I didn't even see the shot, but I heard all this shouting and I found out what happened. I had to go up and scrounge on the floor and find my ticket <laughs> because you had to have a, a ticket to get a ticket for the next night. You know, so, uh, I tell you, he was some character, but, um, but we, you know, we did have another great year. Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, you know, McComber's at the line uh, right before you make that shot, and they can go up three, which back then, you know, there's no three-point line. Right. They, make one, they make one out of two, and then right. you hit, hit the shot. But uh, you, you were phenomenal down the stretch. You had 12 of 15 in the fourth quarter. You scored seven of the nine in the overtime. You finished with 46 points, and then ultimately, as you talked about, you got the win. Uh, and this was a talented team that you played against with, uh, I think, Bunk Adams was on yeah. the team and, and Dennis Winkowski. And um, so you beat them. And then you beat Kent Roosevelt in the finals. Uh, again, another game uh, tied late in the third. Uh, you end up with uh, 28 points. Uh, Tom Sizer with 14. Jay Bird um ends up with four in that game uh charles boykin um was uh ends up going and playing at kent state which was on kent Kent roosevelt's team yeah he was he was their star player that year for sure so the 57 58 season um i would imagine that uh and i don't know you know how you particularly handled this but you know you're you're carrying a a 52 game winning streak uh, into your senior season. What was each game like? I mean, was Coach Walker really good at about keeping you guys in the present moment, uh, knowing that you you had that winning streak going? Well, yeah, he was, but I, I never thought about the winning streak. Never, never entered my thought process. There was another game to play. We had another mm-hmm. opponent, and we had to do the best we could. 
So I, I never really, I never really thought about that winning streak. You know, I mean, I knew it was there, but it wasn't in the forefront of my mind. Whoever we were playing was in the forefront of my mind that particular week or, you know, that particular game. Yeah, one of my favorite stories from the, this your senior season was uh, apparently uh, you. I think Lima was in your in your uh, conference, and you played them earlier in the year, and and they held you to 16 points, and apparently they were bragging about this, uh, and, and you uh, for 16 in your your final home game there. Yeah, they they uh, they wrote about it in the newspapers a lot. You know, they, uh-huh. they 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 didn't they didn't really even try to win the game. They just kind of like put five guys around me and wanted to keep me from scoring, which happened. I mean, they if that's what their goal was, they accomplished it, but <laughs> they couldn't come close to winning the game. And so uh, when we, you know, my last game at Wadey Miller Gym was against Lima in my senior year. And I did score 63 points that night. And I scored, I think I scored more points than their entire team did. Now, I didn't go out there to, to do that. But our, our coach said, you know, before the game, he said, you know, guys, uh, we've heard some things about what happened up in Lima for, you know, all year long and, you know, how they held Jerry down, et cetera, et cetera. I said, it'd be, it'd be nice if he scored a few points tonight. You know, so uh, I did I, I did end up scoring a few that night. <laughs> So, yeah, you, you cap that off with uh, 63 points. Um, now, this was interesting because this was the first time in, in Class AA, which was your big schools then, all four teams come to the state tournament undefeated. Right. Uh, uh, which is absolutely amazing. Um, and you guys would end up getting um, a really talented team in the semifinals, uh, Frank Tu. Frank Truitt's Columbus North Polar Bears, who were 24-0 coming into the game. What was the approach coming into this game? I mean, was there – were you feeling fatigued? I mean, what, what, was no, the, no. what was the team like? I wasn't any different than the other game I ever remember playing. You know, I mean, yeah. we, we were prepared. We were going to play, and they, they, they beat us, you know. And that's the great thing about sports, you know. I mean, the team can be heavily favored, which we were. We were favored to win the state championship again. And, and if, if we played Columbus North 100 times, we, we'd probably beat them 99 more in a row. I mean, uh, we were that much more talented than they were overall. Uh, but th- not that night. You know, they beat us. Uh, you know, and then as I said, that's a great thing about sports. You never really know what might happen on a given night. And uh, they were the better team that night. They ended our winning streak at 76 games and they deserved it and 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 fortunate for me I, I would get to know Frank Truitt a lot better because he would become my freshman coach at, at Ohio State and of course uh, an assistant to Fred Taylor yeah uh, you you guys got the lead in that game Tom Sizer's uh, free throw gave you a 62-61 advantage and then um, Eddie Clark uh, converts a layup with six seconds to play, uh, which would end up being the final score, 63-62. Larry Emmerich's uh, shot would be off the mark at the end. Uh, I found something interesting. A few years ago, uh, Clark was interviewed, and it was kind of like what you were talking about. You didn't know who the people were the next street over. He said, I didn't know anything about Middletown. I didn't know anything about those giants. He said, so, so – 
it, you know, it, it was, it was like that. It's not like now we're social no. me- media oh, no. right. and everybody knows everybody, but yeah. Um, you know, they, they, after this game, it said uh, in the plain dealer, Cleveland plain dealer, it said it was the end of an era. It was the crumbling of the greatest cage dynasty. The state has ever boasted. Um, you finished with 25 points in this game. Um, that on the other side of the court would be a, a future teammate of yours, correct? JT Lands. JT Landis and Jim Downey. Yeah. And J- yeah. 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 Um, yeah they, really. They, yeah. They both went to Ohio State. Yes. Yeah. So, and this was the first time you had been beat, uh, in, well, not you, but uh, Middletown in the 1955 regional. We talked about that to Hughes. So, this 76 and one closed out your, um, your uh, prep career there at Middletown, 154 and seven in your days uh, at Middletown and Ohio State. East Tech would end up lo- uh, winning that state tournament, beating uh, Columbus North 50 to 48 in the final. Um, what what was uh, you know what was your emotions like coming off uh, St. John Arena that day when when you know you knew it was was over uh, in the Middies uniform. Well, uh, obviously, I was sad. I mean, you know, you're 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 saddened when you lose, uh, mm-hmm. especially when you think you had the better team and could have won, and, and, and we didn't. And I tell you what, the strange thing about Middletown, you could have, you could have dug in a dug a hole and put Middletown in it because it was like the town died. I mean, it was the 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 the, the feeling in the community was unbelievable. You know, it, nobody could believe we could ever be beaten. And it, it was unique and different. And finally, I, you know, it, it was just, why did they lose? This guy did. And, and all, you began to hear all kinds of silly stuff, you know. Uh, they wouldn't pass the ball to Lucas. Lucas wouldn't shoot enough. And da-da-da-da-da. The point, I finally went to Jerry Nardell, our sports editor, uh, sports editor of Middletown Drill, and said, Jerry, will you, will, you let, will you let people in this community know that we were beaten by a better team that night? They outplayed us. They deserved to win. And that's the end of the story, you know. And, of course, it was the end of my high school career. And, uh, you know, we've already talked before about what happened after that. So, uh, But it was the end of the greatest era in the history of high school basketball in the state of Ohio. Uh, there is no doubt about that, you know. And um, I, don't, uh, I don't think there'll ever be an era like that again. Well, today things are different. In those in those years, there was no recruiting like there is today either. You know, I mean, a lot of these Catholic schools recruit players. You know, Akron, you know, LeBron uh, James's uh, school recruits players, and you know that, that didn't happen when, when I grew up. I mean, you had to be born and live in that town to play for that team. So, uh, for Middletown to have such dominant players over a period of time was just incredible. But there was a reason for that. We had great coaches in, in grade school, and we had great coaches in junior high school that prepared us to be high school players. And they, they coached Paul Walker's system. And, uh, you know, so when we got to high school, we, we were ready, you know. Uh, and uh, and uh, that led to huge, huge success. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I, I don't think you're ever going to see anything like that dominance again, especially from – and like you mentioned, it, it, it was you took great pride in playing for the town and the community that you grew up in with the, the kids that you grew up with. And, 
you know, 76 and one, you averaged, I mean, almost 30, around 30 points a game in three past uh, total and points. Um, interesting, you ended your career with 2,460 points in just three years. So, you know, you split that up over four and, and you're right there uh, in the mix as far as uh, all-time leading scorers in the state. Um, Middletown would re- return uh, in 1959. Uh, they lost a, a close game to Salem. Um, and then Walker would, would then lead uh, the Middies to a runner-up finish uh, where they played a really, really good Barberton team in 1976 uh, behind Butch, uh, Middletown was led by Butch Carter. And then Ted Stewart got him back there in 83, and they lost to Toledo uh, St. Francis. Um, but after that, it's just been – so basically we, we, we went through about 38 years now. Uh, you know, you, you're, you're a Middletown guy. What, what do you think happened? I know what happened. <laughs> I mean, I know uh, what happened. Yeah. A superintendent came in that, that felt there was new, too much emphasis on sports. Mm-hmm. And he eliminated the younger teams, the young, the, the, the teams in the, the beginning years. And so when, when the team, when players came to high school, they had not played. They didn't understand. They didn't know the game. And it's been, it's been, it hasn't been very good in, in, in the, the ensuing years. Um, and uh, just, you know, if you, if you, if you don't start right, you don't play, you don't understand the game, you don't learn the fundamentals. I mean, you you can't learn after you're in high school. You're not going to learn them. You know, you, you can't you can't do that. It's too late. And so that that's one of the reasons that it changed. And I think there there are other reasons too. I'm sure. I mean, uh, social media, the, the 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 play. You know, young people today have so many other interests. Uh, you know, video games, uh, their telephones, their et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that take their attention, take their time. I mean, when I grew up, there was only one thing on my mind, and that was basketball. I mean, that was it. Uh, for, I mean, I thought about it prior to going to bed. Uh, you know, I thought about my shot, what I would do. I developed an acronym before I ever began to shoot a basketball between my fourth and fifth grade year, and that was the year I decided I wanted to become a player. Even lying in bed and thinking about that, I developed an, uh, an acronym, DAD, D-A-D, direction, arc, and distance. You have to shoot it straight direction. You have to get it over the front. You, you have to shoot it up because coming down to basket, it opens up a lot more. And distance, you have to get it over public enemy number one, which is the front of the rim. And every shot I shot from the rest of my life, I used that in thinking about what I would do and and I mean, it just, I got to the point where I shot at pinpoints instead of trying to make the shot. And if you can hit a pinpoint, making a shot is very simple and very easy. And I did all that on my own. And I developed so many drills for rebounding and footwork, et cetera, that I thought up on my own that, you know, that, that players don't do today. They have too many other interests. And I don't know that anybody ever did what I did to begin with. So um, it, it, things have changed, you know, things have changed in our nation and our world. You know, our nation's not the same as it was back in the 50s and after World War II. And, you know, the 50s were the greatest, in my opinion, the greatest decade in the history of mankind. And many, many things have changed. And uh, as a result, 
lot has changed in, in sports in Middletown, unfortunately. Well, Jerry, don't sell yourself short now. You were a, you were a pretty decent discus thrower too, right? Oh, yeah, but not nearly what I was as a basketball <laughs> player. I mean, I, I think I came in third in the state in that, third uh-huh. in the state in the shot put as well. But 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 I was a basketball player as well. I was, you know, that's what I, uh, I – but people didn't know at that time what was going on in my mind either. That that was nobody – my, my brother, my parents, my friends, nobody knew what was going in my mind, and that would become known later. And, and once again, I'll say this, but that's the mind magic part of my book, Midi Magic and Mind Magic. And it, it, it tells about how it began, how I began to think about education and how I've totally revolutionized the way that learning will be taught in the future. And it's interesting story. Well, Jerry, you're, you're uh, uh, just uh, an amazing guy and you've left an incredible legacy, uh, not only in basketball, but in the education field. Uh, what is it, you know, as we close here, what is it that you hope people remember about Jerry Lucas? More than anything else, I hope they remember me as a great educator. Uh, they don't know about all the work I've done and all I have created at this point. But hopefully in the near future, I will have the opportunity to develop my website, which I said earlier will be known as Dr. Memories Universe, a whole universe of learning based on my visual approach to learning, which makes everything automatic. And that's how I hope I'm remembered in the future. I, you know, obviously I will be remembered as a basketball player uh, for some of the things that happened with the teams that I played with. But more than that, I hope I'm remembered as Dr. Memory, the educator. Hey, Jerry, I thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to to talk with us. I know so many people are going to enjoy this conversation and um, go out and get Jerry's book, um, and MIDI magic and mind magic, and I'll link it in the, the show notes to this. Yeah, but there's uh, only one place they can get that book, which I'm sure you will tell them. It's MIDIMagic.com. Yep. It's not on Amazon. It's not anyplace else. It's yep. just, uh, yeah, so. We'll link it up. Jerry, thank, thank you, you very much. You're very welcome. Have a great evening. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>